ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. And this is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. As we go to air this afternoon, it would seem the Victoria River has peaked at Timber Creek. The river is now falling just upstream at Coolibar Station, so that's a bit of good news this afternoon. But the Vic Highway remains well and truly closed, meaning trucks from WA are now taking the long, long way around. So Perth to Port Augusta, then up to, to Darwin. So that, that trip's 5,100 kilometres, whereas the normal trip is about 3,800 kilometres. So it's, it's a fair chunk of distance further. Yeah, what sort of freight from WA to the Territory is now taking that long, expensive way around? You'll find out soon. You'll also today learn about an emergency meeting that is being organised between the Federal Government and the critical minerals industry. This is all coming up on today's Country Hour. Hope you can stick around. We are broadcasting right across the Territory on the ABC, streaming online, and g'day there if you are tuning in via the podcast. First up today, let's go to Birundudu Station, which is about 700 kilometres to the southwest of Catherine. This station, it sits just north of the Tenamai Desert and it backs onto the WA border. And at the moment, the homestead is completely surrounded by floodwaters. Aerial pictures of this station show the homestead sitting in what looks like an inland sea. There is water everywhere. The station managers out there at Birundudu are Jordan and Grace Perry. I spoke to Jordan earlier this morning to see how they're going. It's been very interesting, very busy. Um, yeah, what have we recorded? 328 mil of rain uh, for the month. Uh, majority of that falling yeah, in the last sort of week. Yeah, we've, we've obviously seen the Sturt Creek rise dramatically um, in, in quite a short period of time. Yeah, I mean, it's been full-on moving, moving gear to higher ground and dogs and horses and mares and foals and, yeah, lifting generators up so they don't go under and putting generators on trailers to, to sort of power fridges and freezers and, and you know, run a, run a fan here and there. So, yeah, it's been, it's been quite busy, yeah. And just judging by the photos... Uh, that have been shared by your wife, Grace. I mean, you're on an island. That's what it looks like. It looks like you've got water views, 360 degrees. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, we sort of we went for a fly yesterday. I think we worked out we've got uh, 15 k's of water laying back to the east and then we've got, yeah, 10 k's of water laying back to the west of the homestead. Um, we've, we've got about 20, 25 k's of water laying to the north of the homestead. and um, yeah, it's sort of it's about fifty k's of sort of Sturt Creek that runs back to the to the southwest is all full all the way through in the Gordon Downs. So yeah, just on a little little island at home that they picked the right spot, that's for sure. Yeah, because this is very flat country, so you're on the highest bump in a very flat line. Yeah, it, mm. it, it, extremely flat. It, uh, the water sort of generally travels between sort of two and four kilometres an hour, so it's very slow moving. Um, very, very flat, flat out type country. 
Yeah, apart from where the cattle yards, the house cattle yards are situated, yeah, this this homestead would sort of be the the highest central point. That's for sure. Have you ever seen it like this, Jordan? Uh, not not in our time. Um, we saw nine hundred and two mil fall uh, in twenty twenty three. We thought we saw it high, but it, yeah, it was nowhere near as high as what we're seeing it, um, at present. There's an old photo in the station kitchen from two thousand and one, and yeah, it's sort of on par. There might have been a little, might have been a little bit higher in two thousand and one. So apart from apart from photos, no, I haven't experienced it like this. Do you have a boat? No, we, we unfortunately we don't have a boat. Um, yeah, it'd be nice if we did have one. Um, no, we, we don't we don't have a boat, and we can't we can't get out of the property. We got our driveway seventy kilometres back to the north. Um, we sort of come out on the Bunton Highway on the western side of Inverway, and um, yeah, we can't we can't get out. Uh, the Sturt Creek actually flows across the driveway, so it's um, yeah, sort of inaccessible to get out. Um, so yeah, we're sort of just just holding tight at home for now. So I was telling my wife this story and showing her the pictures and said, "Oh, you know, this couple have got a couple of kids as well." And for her, she was like, "Oh my god, I hope they're okay." Uh, <laughs> how's yep. the family coping? Yeah. Being stuck in the in the homestead? Uh, yeah. Um, no, we, we, we've coped good. The kids have been we've got two good little two good little girls, and um, yeah, they had the they decided to start staying home, staying in the house the other day while we moved some horses and some gear in. Me and Grace were sort of going backwards and forwards and we've got another another guy here, Bruce, with us. So we were, the three of us were busy and the kids just sort of were drawing and colouring in and doing a few bits and pieces in the house for a couple of hours while we got a few things sorted. So we're probably very lucky that they're um, yeah, pretty good kids. Yeah, apart from that, you know, we've tried to just – we're just probably a little bit worried about – the snakes and those sorts of things that could come from this, so we just try to have tried to keep them sort of out of the out off the lawn and sort of keep them busy on the veranda and and those sorts of things. So yeah, does the wildlife flock to you know yeah. essentially Birundudu Island? Yeah, yeah, it does. It yeah, it's funny the a, a lot of insects, you know, a lot of ants and spiders and and uh, creepy crawlies and those sorts of things. So yeah, no, they definitely have come in. That's for sure. Yeah. So when would you expect the waters to recede there at your place? It's sort of funny. I've had a couple of conversations with a few people. It's, I think the the probably saving grace in all of this is the catchment, you know, from pretty well the Birundudu homestead back to the southwest um, all the way down to Lake Gregory. Didn't see any significant falls in November, December or early January. So the catchment was, oh, was all bar. Uh, empty, so I think that that was the saving grace behind it all. But it's sort of hard to say. We've seen the Sturt not as high as this, and, it, and it's taken anywhere between sort of I don't know two, three, four weeks before it sort of drops right back down to a relatively normal level. Like I said, it's hard to say. Going for a fly yesterday, there's yeah, there's there's a lot of water sitting out there. So it could be it could be a couple of weeks. It could be you know six or eight weeks. I wouldn't think it'd be you know, to the back end of that, but yeah. Mm. And where do the cattle go when all this takes place? Uh, we, Yeah, this place sort of, it sort of forces you to move all the cattle out off the flood plant or, or you know, off your flood out country gotcha. pre-wet season. So we, um, you know, we sort of plan 
plan for these things. You know, come mid-November, we yeah move all of our grow cattle out off this flood-out country on a you know on a wet season. You know, our heavier red country where they can all sort of yeah get out get out of the flood floodway and those sorts of things. So yeah, like I said, we went for a fly yesterday and and yeah didn't didn't see any any um noticeable stock losses and you know there were no cattle stuck on islands or in flood water anywhere which was very pleasing to see so you know like i said it sort of forces you forces us to move all the cattle out off it and and i think um we're pretty fortunate yeah are you already dreaming about the green grass that will emerge when the water goes down and the sun comes out yeah i think so I'm, i don't know if i'm dreaming about standing up a few fences and <laughs> And all of the all of the cleaning up that's going to come with it, but no, I think, yeah, obviously there's um there's more money in mud than there is in dust, so no, it'll it'll be it'll be it'll be very pleasing, you know, when we can start getting out and about and see some some plenty of green feed and some some good healthy fat cattle. It'll be good, yeah. Well, all the best out there. There's a lot of people thinking of you, and uh, thanks so much for sharing some time for the Country Hour. Yeah, not a problem at all. No, thank you very much. Yeah, big thanks to Jordan Perry, who is the station manager at Birindudu. And I've got an aerial photo of the homestead. And you can see it surrounded by water, water that just stretches out into the horizon. I'll put that picture up on our website later on this afternoon so you can check it out for yourself. Just search for NT Country Hour. Hi, how are you going? My name is John Barry, uh, originally from Ireland. Came out here about 15 years ago and ended up in the lovely Timber Creek. And it's good here, the locals are friendly, and I'm enjoying the job. And you're listening to the Country Hour. And a shout-out to all of our friends at Timber Creek this afternoon. It's been a big week, hasn't it, with the Victoria River in flood. I've spoken to the Weather Bureau, and I've spoken to a couple of locals in town, and got the sense that perhaps the Vic River had reached its peak there at Timber Creek and I mentioned at the start of the show that the river was falling at Cooley Bar Station which is a bit upstream but I've just refreshed the Weather Bureau's River Heights page and well the story looks to have changed it's got here the Vic River at Cooley Bar Station is 18.86 metres and rising is what the Bureau's website now has. So perhaps the peak has not been reached there at the Timber Creek Township. Uh, If you're in town and you can see what's going on, let the rest of us know. Our text number is 0487 99 1057. That text number is 0487 99 1057. G'day to everyone in Timber Creek this afternoon as the country hour wrapped up yesterday we actually got sent some pictures from Baz Burrows Uh, Baz looks after the little museum there in Timber Creek and the pictures that got sent through uh, yeah it breaks your heart a bit you can see that the water has gone through the museum uh, through by about four meters it's estimated and sadly it would seem that some history pieces in that museum have been lost uh, Baz is now up in Darwin. He got evacuated and he had a chat to Liz Travaskis. And the locals and everybody at Timber Creek have done a marvellous job. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I think this is the biggest flood in 300 years and we haven't been here that long. So 
we never know. Um, look, it's it's pretty pretty devastating for me. Um, I put a fair bit of effort into the <coughs> the uh, police museum, and it was going very good. And um, the biggest thing that worries me now is that because there's only the roof showing out of the water, is that all the history is lost. Um, all the National Trust uh, books that they built uh, about the history and all the people in uh, in that uh, Victoria River District area. And they're all classical people, you know, they, they did it hard. The police reports from 1908 up until about 1964, they'll be all gone. But I'm hoping we'll salvage something out of it, but it doesn't look good. Uh, water, I, I went into the museum and I had everything up on milk crates because they said, oh, maybe six inches a foot. We're not expecting 14 feet. And uh, anyway, the next, that night, I got up and the water was starting to come around the building. And then um, within a half hour or so, it was through the building and then it just kept going up and up. Uh, I sort of put my gumboots on and it was all good when I was kicking the snakes out. And then, uh, then it got halfway up the gumboot and then I did something else. The next was at the top and the next one it was in the, in the gumboot. So for the next 10 hours or so, I had gumboots and water and it's, it's buggered all my feet. So I was evacuated out of there on Sunday, uh, Monday morning because they didn't want me there if I got crook with my feet with the melodosis and that. So um, I'm now up here in, uh, in Darwin and, uh, God, you couldn't, couldn't expect any better, love. I've got a beautiful room and they keep bringing food to me and, Oh, the, the <laughs> so, a silver it's lining, terrific. a silver lining. Uh, I think it sounds like Catherine West who helped sort you out and we've been keeping in touch yes. with them over the last few days because it's their... Yes, they've been terrific, love. They've been in, uh, evacuating just, people since last week yes, from the yeah, region. Well, I, the crocodile going down the river now, he'll have a, a pair of glasses, some, uh, some hearing aids and um, a blood, a blood uh, counter. <laughs> As Baz Burrows, who over the years has done so much work for the museum there in Timber Creek. Uh, sad to hear that some history pieces may have been lost there. And the Vic River, wow, it's uh, exceeded the flood levels of 1991. And as I mentioned a moment ago, there was an expectation that the river had peaked. But the Bureau's website, I've just updated the River Heights page and it's got the Vic River at Cooley Bar Station, so a bit upstream of Timber Creek. And it's got the river there at 18.86 metres and rising. Uh, we'll be speaking to the Bureau at five past one, as always. If you have a question, send it through on that text line. Yeah, and my name's Nick Ferrica from Road Trains of Australia, and I've just unloaded here at the Berrimer Export Yard. And when I'm cruising along, I always tune into the country hour. Yeah, so the Vic River in flood and, of course, the Victoria Highway, it is still closed as we go to air this afternoon. And over in the Kimberley region, the Great Northern Highway, it's closed as well. So any freight from WA that needs to come to the Northern Territory, well, at the moment, it needs to take the long, long way around. And it is a long journey. We're talking from Perth to Port Augusta and then up through the middle 
Cam Dumasey. He's the Chief Executive of the Western Roads Federation. Uh, Cam, can you give our audience this afternoon a, a sense on just how long the long way around is for WA truckies? Yeah, so obviously with the Victoria Highway closed, uh, we're currently going through Port Augusta. So Perth to Port Augusta, then up to, to Darwin. So that uh, that trip's 5,100 kilometres, whereas the normal trip is about 3,800 kilometres. So it's you know it's um, it's a fair chunk of distance further. Wow! So an extra 1,200, 1,300 yeah, kilometres. 1,300 kilometres, yeah, longer. If the outback way was sealed, what would the numbers be then? Okay, if the outback way was sealed, particularly from Labor and through Dallas, we're looking at it's only 100 kilometres longer. So it's 3,800, it becomes 3,900. So we're saving around 1,200 kilometres on the alternative route. But there's other advantages as well in that currently, you know, Louise Bellato, my Northern Territory counterpart and I, are trying to get approval to get triple road trains up through the alternative route through Port Augusta. We've got to get approvals from the NT government, the WA government, the South Australian government and the National Heavy Vehicle Regulator, whereas having the Outback Way um, sealed means it's just a WANT government approval. I did hear Louise talk about this earlier in the week, and I guess from a listener's perspective, there was a sense that surely that would get done quickly. And no, yes, you're still waiting for approvals. Still waiting for approvals, and I agree with the listeners. And this happens frequently. It's not as if it's happening once in a blue moon. It's pretty much happened every year. We've had to go and seek these approvals for some form of freight disruption where we need to increase from it's normally double road trains across the air highway to increase it temporarily to allow the triple road trains. And every time we're going to go through this sort of quite cumbersome process to get the approvals. Weird. So by the time you get approval, the waters will probably have receded. Yeah, yeah it feels like it sometimes. Look, there's a lot of goodwill around the individual jurisdictions, but it's just that coordination effort um, to get it organised is the cumbersome element. Can you give our audience a sense on what type of freight yeah. normally comes out of WA into the Northern Territory that now will be forced to take that long journey? Yeah, look, so the big ones that come out of uh, out of WA are your mining and, and uh, resources sector, their equipment, spare parts and tools. No surprise, WA is a mining hub for those sorts of things. Also, a lot of your construction materials, some a lot of stuff that you construction build materials for houses, buildings, uh, and other sort of uh, related construction activities. Uh, that all comes out of Perth up to Darwin, um, insulation, things like that, mm. steel. So there's, you'll start to see impacts in those areas as well as the truckies are forced to take the longer distances. And last time you and I spoke was when the highway was closed because of bushfires, uh, not flooding. And you mentioned uh, a push to have a warning system in place so that interstate truckies would know when a a route was closed. Has there been any wins in that space? Yeah, so we got a... um, So we we had, obviously, uh, some, obviously, support from the industry. We had support um, even from the federal government. But there's a new national body, National Emergency Management Agency, got put up to them and they kiboshed it. So that's where it got to. But it does make sense because if you're a driver pulling out of Sydney, coming up to Darwin, you've got to go check the road maps for New South Wales. Then you've got to check the road maps for Queensland. Then you've got to check the road maps for the Northern Territory. 
And so there's no linkages between the three. You've got to go to three separate different sites. But if the road suddenly there's a bushfire on the Barclay Highway and you're only, say, three hours on the trip, the first, often the truck drivers will hear about it is when they arrive at the Barclay Highway and find it's closed. So, you know, the earlier notification system did make sense. We'll keep pushing for it. Well, thanks for your time today and, and and hopefully we don't get to chat to you for a while <laughs> yeah. it's often Always because of like natural disaster yeah. <laughs> it does no thanks very much Matt. have Appreciate a good it. afternoon thank you g'day i'm lisa pepper and i'm in here at darwin port where we're currently in the process of loading a couple of thousand head onto the grayman express for live export and thanks for listening to the country hour Matt Brown with you this afternoon. It is 10 to 1. For years, there has been a lot of buzz, a lot of hype around critical minerals such as lithium. But suddenly, the wheels are falling off a bit. And now the Australian government is getting ready to hold emergency talks with that industry. I'll tell you more about this after a classic from John Denver. With the ABC Listen app, you can take the cricket with you anywhere you go. Bowl! Off to the beach. Take the cricket. Road trip. Take the cricket. Museum visit. Shh, take the cricket. Seriously? You want to listen? <laughs> ABC Sports, expert coverage of every test. Big shout, he's out. One day up. Australia is celebrating. And T20. Over the rope for another six. Live and commercial free. So whatever you're up to this summer, take the cricket with you and listen big on the ABC Listen app. Australia's mining industry and the federal government will have emergency talks later this week and it will focus on the critical minerals sector because in recent weeks a number of nickel operations have been mothballed and of course lithium prices continue to slide. Players such as Andrew Forrest are saying that the market demand for critical minerals is just not there at the moment. Federal Resources Minister Madeleine King says one option is to try to convince other nations to pay a premium for ethically sourced resources from Australia. The thing about uh, nickel and lithium and, and other critical minerals is, uh, and particularly the critical minerals, and nickel's actually on the strategic materials list, is the fact that their, their markets can change quickly and fluctuate quickly. And we've seen this with lithium certainly in the past, and also with nickel for that matter, so these these talks are what we'd ordinarily do when there's a matter of concern. I'm very open that I like to consult with industry and experts about uh, seeing what they think government can do best uh, to help them when we're in a context where, you know, there's not going to be hundreds of millions of dollars of subsidies into this industry because our federal budget simply can't sustain that. But there are things the government can do. And there have been some suggestions, and I'm bringing these groups together to have a bit more of a, uh, a deeper dive into how they think government can best help them. And I'm doing that as well with uh, the Western Australian Minister for Mines, uh, David Michael, as well. So I look forward to these talks later this week. As I understand it, uh, what's going on in the nickel sector is largely the result of Indonesian production and uh, their products. Why are you stepping into this market? Well, I'm not stepping into this market. We've produced nickel for a long time in Western Australia and across the country, but in particular WA. I mean, the 
nickel uh, refinery in my electorate is uh, older than I am. So, you know, we, we've had a market for this, the Cambalda refinery as well has been in existence for some time. Uh, it's just the use and popularity of nickel has changed. It used to be used for stainless steel, but now it goes into batteries. But what we saw uh, a little, a few years back is Indonesia put a ban on export of unrefined nickel, uh, which then led to an extraordinary amount of international investment into uh, their nickel refinery. So it's a different competition than it was uh, six or seven years ago, and that makes it difficult sometimes for Australian businesses to compete when we do have much higher standards than many of the other nickel producers in the world. Uh, so that's how we can work together to get to a, uh, a good position for that nickel industry is what I want to talk to industry about. Yeah, and if there is such fluctuation in the market, what realistically can government do? Well, what we know is that Australia produces nickel well. And when I say, well, you know, we have good governance, we have good environmental processes, we have uh, good consultation with the traditional owners of land, we have high work standards and very high safety standards, people are well paid in the industry, and that's not necessarily the case with our competitors. We are a high-cost uh, country, but but that's a good thing because it means that our people are getting paid well, so that you know uh, that they have a high standard of living. So then you've got to compete uh, with with lower cost producing countries. So what some of the suggestions have been is around how do you account for that high ethical standard of nickel production in the price of nickel and the pricing of nickel. Now that's an international markets question, and it's really you know, something I'm trying to grapple with, but this is what federal governments are here to do, is to lead international discussions on how you can, you know, make sure there is a premium on ethically sourced and ethically produced high standard nickel sulphide. Uh, and that's one of the things we'll be talking about later this week. Yeah, that's the Federal Resources Minister, Madeline King, speaking to Joe Trillin, that emergency talk between the government and the critical minerals sector due to happen later in the week. G'day, my name's Han. I'm a tropical fruit farmer out of Darwin. I am um, always too busy to listen to the country hour at lunchtime. So instead, I will always listen to it after hours on the podcast. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. If you've just joined us, you've missed a lot, including an incredible tale from the station managers at Birindudu which is at the bottom of the VRD, the homestead there of Berendudu, completely surrounded by floodwaters. It's now Berendudu Island. <laughs> we had a chat to Jordan Perry. No, we, we, don't, we don't have a boat and we can't, we can't get out. Uh, the Sturt Creek actually flows across the driveway, so it's um, yeah, sort of inaccessible to get out. Um, so, yeah, we're sort of just, just holding tight at home for now, so... Yeah, staying put there at Berendudu Homestead. If you missed that interview with Jordan <laughs> about how every lizard, ant, mosquito, everything is now trying to get onto that island with them, <laughs> that story will be on our podcast later on this afternoon. The tropical low that brought all of that rain to the VRD, it has since moved into the Kimberley. In a moment, you'll hear from a Kimberley cattle producer who's singing in the rain this afternoon.
Daniel also before 1.30. Be hearing from last year's NT Rural Woman of the Year. But first, let's go to the Weather Bureau. Rebecca Patrick is there this afternoon. Uh, Beck, the Victoria River. Um, there, was, there was a sense that it had peaked there at the township of Timber Creek. But uh, the website now says that it's rising at Cooley Bar Station, just a little bit upstream. Uh, what, what's your understanding on what the Vic River is doing? Yeah, um, I'd say that at Coolabar maybe there was some local thunderstorm activity that has just tipped it with a, a tiny bit of a rise there. We haven't seen a rise, a uh, corresponding rise at Victoria River crossing, so would suggest um, yeah, just some local activity there. Um, we are expecting... Um, more thunderstorm activity uh, in the area today, um, this afternoon, and uh, any storms are likely to be fairly slow moving, so could drop a reasonable amount of rain, so we'll just have to keep an eye on that. Um, But generally, um, across the area, things are on a a slow easing trend. Yeah, because heavy rain in Timber Creek, could have uh, terrible consequences. There's a sense it's, it sort of sits in that escarpment and um, if water starts running off the hill, it doesn't really have anywhere to go. Just go bang. You know, the Vic River's backing up and it could get quite nasty there, really. Mm, yeah. So in, in general, um, we should be seeing a, a decreasing trend in terms of that rainfall. So as I said, maybe a, a slight risk today uh, with thunderstorms. But um, from tomorrow onwards, the storms should start moving a little bit more quickly. So therefore drop less rainfall. Yeah, there's still a moderate flood warning in place for the Daly River. A final flood watch in place for northwestern and parts of central NT. What would you like people to know? Yeah, so with the the daily, um, we are expecting another peak to come down the river, um, starting to see that move through. Uh, so we could see that lower part of the daily um, uh, at the Daily River Police Station um, it could get to moderate from tomorrow, um, with a peak expected on Friday. Um, so yeah, just be aware that um, that threat isn't over uh, for the Daily River. Um, in general, though, as I mentioned, we are on a, a downward trend in terms of more rainfall occurring mm. um, across those northwestern parts, which is why we have finalised that flood watch. Um, certainly, there's still plenty of water out there on the ground, so yeah, keep an eye on um, what the what the road conditions are like. But in terms of that rainfall threat, that is decreasing. Yeah, big blob of rain. On the northern coast as we go to air, though, looks like it's pouring down at Point Stewart, Annabury Cattle Station getting wet. So it's there's still a fair bit of wet season action about. Yeah, there certainly is. We've still got this um, pretty moist westerly flow across the top end. Um, and, and what's also happened is we've got, um, like you have a, a trough at the surface, we've got a, a a trough in the mid-levels of the atmosphere that's uh, caused an in- a bit of an increase in that weather across the top end. Um, that probably is expected to continue for the next few days into the weekend. Um, so, yeah, expect some, some reasonable rainfall. Um, we saw 100, just over 100 millimetres at gunpoint to 9am this morning, so there's some um, decent falls in the area. Um, so far today, the highest is 33 millimetres at Cape Wessel. That's 
over in the east, um, but more locally, uh, Charles Point with 25 millimetres. Wow. And um, over in Queensland, it's still a tropical low, is that right? It hasn't yeah, uh, that's officially right. formed into a tropical cyclone. Yeah, so um, didn't have it its best night last night um, (laughs) in terms of development potential but um, yeah certainly um, there is still that risk of cyclone development which is expected tonight um, now Um, there also there could be some gales already on on um, the southern side of that system Um, but we do need to have them wrapping around to call it a cyclone um, so yeah that's heading towards that uh, north queensland coast mm. um, with yeah potential impacts for in the next couple of days okay and i know my counterparts in queensland are reporting that the current forecast for the system is to hit around townsville and then push inland i know they're they're chatting to cattle producers around Julia Creek, Hewarden, those kinds of places that are getting excited about the chance of some rainfall. So I guess what's your understanding of, of what it could mean for maybe a bit of rain around the Barclay in central Australia? Yeah, that's certainly something that we're keeping an eye on. Um, that is expected to move westwards across um, across Queensland um, and there is an increasing chance that it might make its way into the Territory next week. Um, There's still uh, quite a lot of uncertainty in terms of where that might go, how much rainfall, but um, certainly uh, something to to keep a close eye on because if it does come through into the Territory with with, um, as a a deep tropical low, then um, we could have some some reasonable rainfall associated with that. Okay, well there's a bit of good news. Have you got any other good news for Central Australia? Because it's pretty hot there today. It is, and we do still have that heatwave warning um, for the Lasseter and Simpson district. Um, Temperatures uh, currently we're seeing Alice Springs around 40, 41 degrees. Um, uh, Colga is probably hotter. I don't have an observation there, but um, we were forecasting 45 today. Um, Those conditions expected to continue for another day or so, but there is a southeasterly change coming through from Friday, so um, dropping a few degrees, but... um, yeah, still probably in the in the high 30s for most of those locations. Okay, thanks so much for your time. No worries. Thanks, Matt. That is Rebecca Patrick there at the Weather Bureau. Just going through some of these rainfall figures up to 9 o'clock this morning, as mentioned by Beck. Gun Point topping the list with 102 millimetres in the gauge. Flora River, Stony Creek, 45 millimetres. Dumb and Meary, 56 millimetres in the gauge. Channel Point, 54 uh, if we look into the Roper MacArthur district, some decent figures here. Bullman's recorded 88 millimetres. Maroke cattle stations had 58. Gilnocky station, 94 millimetres in the gauge. That is decent. And in the VRD, the rain just keeps on tumbling for the VRD. Armstrong Rivers recorded 58. Sunshine Boars had 23. Upper Townsend Creek, 30. And the Upper Victoria River, another 50 millimetres there. West Baines Rivers recorded 61. If you're in Timber Creek this afternoon, I hope you are well. Uh, We'd love an up-to-date observation of the Vic River. Um, There was an expectation that it had peaked, but if it's rising at Coolie Bar, maybe there's more to come. I think it's 
fair to say that the data from the Bureau in that part of the world is a little bit light on. So it can be tough to tell. So that's why your eyes on the ground are important. Our text number zero four eight seven double nine one zero five seven. The tropical low that's caused all of that rain around the VRD, it has since moved west into the Kimberley region, delivering a lot of rain, a lot of much-needed rain to those Kimberley cattle stations. Hayden Sale, he's the general manager of the Argyle Cattle Company, the Yugawarla Pastoral Company and Mandora Cattle Company. Uh, Hayden's in charge of a lot of acreage. And he says the rain, after a very dry start, has been very welcome. Oh, look, fast in the central Kimberley and eastern Kimberley, it's been brilliant. It's just some blooms we've had... um anywhere from 100 mil to up to 200 mil over the last four or five days. And pretty steady, nice rain as well, not just mad big flash floods or anything. It's just been um, been a brilliant break to what, what was becoming very worrying, very sort of late year for us, uh, not much through December and the first half of January. So we were starting to get a bit worried. So it's been, yeah, been a good event. And how do those rainfall figures compare to your average season? Oh, that would it's Because we've had so much in the last few days, it's probably back towards average, maybe still a little bit under, but um, up to that point, we were well, well under. Very, very dry December and very dry January until now, like next, next to non-existent. So, uh, you know, one of the driest sort of starts to the wet I've seen in my time there. So we were getting pretty worried, yeah, for sure. And, and I don't think it's got to the West Pilbara, uh, West Kimberley yet, so there's probably some people over there that are still hoping for a bit, but certainly in the middle and the east, it's been, uh, been a good event. That's such great news to hear. Yeah, we spoke to David Stoat from Anaplane Station just south of Broome, so the West Kimberley. Very dry and continues to be dry. He was really hoping for something out of this, but he was even selling some cattle across the border to the Northern Territory, which is, you know, as he was saying, pretty unusual for January. Mm. So, yeah, some people in that sort mm. of situation over there. Yeah, same. Well, our, our own place, Jane and I, Mandora's borders, uh, and our planes have been very dry. We've had nothing. I think two mil the other night for uh, the whole wet. So it's getting getting uh, getting pretty dramatic over there. But it's uh, they are forecasting a bit the next few days. So fingers crossed for that side. Yeah. So that's the only station, Mandora Station, that's missed out at this point. Yeah, it has, and uh, that's that's our personal place. The place we manage for the bigger group uh, has Shamrock south of Broome, and it's it's a bit in the same boat. Not a lot of rain there either. So so we're still hoping this this event makes it to the west. Um, but where the bulk of the properties are, it's certainly been a fantastic rain event in through the central and eastern Kimberley, for sure. Look, what does it mean getting those sort of rainfall figures just over the last three days or so? How does that change things on those stations in the central and eastern Kimberley properties? Oh, look, it doesn't doesn't make a season, obviously. Um, you, you're going to need follow-up rain. We're going to need that wet season to keep coming a bit, but it... it it, um, it dramatically reduces the reliance of the cattle on the on the man-made water points. That's probably the first thing. So instead of having dams and bores under a lot of pressure uh, and people still out and about in 40-degree heat looking after that, it's just taken an enormous amount of pressure off that. And then and then because it's been such a lovely sort of steady rain and overcast conditions, that the, the, the grass is really jumping away. So it's, you wouldn't say it's made a season, but it's a really good break in the season for us. As we've heard in the news today, the Great Northern Highway between Fitzroy Crossing and Halls Creek was closed to all vehicles on Monday night. And also the Victoria Highway at the WANT border in the east also cut off. Is that affecting your business at all? Not really. We're not doing a lot this time of year except keeping water up to cattle and doing our, our wet season maintenance. So at the moment, no. We did 
you know, one thing we probably took out of last year's flood events is we did stock up a bit more on essentials, fuel and food going into the wet. So we're, we're okay at the moment, but um, if it continues, you know, later in the wet season, that's when then it would affect us. And just on your the properties that you manage, Hayden, I mean, there was a transaction late last year. This is the, you know, almost 3 million hectare aggregation that you manage, including Yugawalla Pastoral Company and the Argyle Cattle Company, um, recently acquired by Alberta Investment Management Corporation for more than $300 million. Any major changes since that acquisition went through? I mean, it only has been a couple of months, but have you noticed any difference? Oh, we haven't actually transacted yet. We we're just waiting on the uh, state and federal approvals. So we're in a bit of a holding pattern. We're hoping that might go through in, in April. But our discussions with the new owners so far have been really positive and I think they'll be I think they'll be really good for the group. So we're looking forward to change over and a bit of a new direction and new people coming in hopefully this year too. Yeah, it will take some time then, doesn't it? <laughs> Processing oh, all it's of really, this. Yeah, it's really slow. Like it's probably one of the problems that government need to look at a little bit. You know, the, the, you have to do a FERB approval if they're an overseas buyer, which is fine. I 100% understand that, but that takes quite a number of months and then the state approvals have to follow that. So uh, you have to have a pretty patient buyer. <laughs> so we're really hoping that gets through by April. So we're, so we've got a bit of clear air for the coming mustering season. So, uh, but yeah, they're, they're very good people and they're known to the Australia already for other investments they've got in, in, uh, in, in the grain sector and Wilson Grains and the timber industry. So I can't say there being a problem with the approvals. We just have to wait, basically, until yeah. it gets through. That is Hayden Sale speaking to Belinda Varischetti. Hayden is the general manager of the Argyle Cattle Company, Yugawalla Pastoral Company and Mandora Cattle Company in the Kimberley region, which has received some nice rain in the last 24 hours. Just looking at some of the figures, Columbaroo, right at the top of the North Kimberley, it's had 144 millimetres in the 24-hour period. Truscott's recorded 136. Flora Valley Station, 28. Kununurra Airport's recorded 54. Perry Creek Farm near Wyndham's recorded 65. And I see there in the Pilbara region, Newman Airport, 129 millimetres in the gauge. Enjoy a feast of movies for free on ABC iView. From Colin Firth and Geoffrey Rush in The King's Speech. At last, sir, here's your speech. You are on air at six. To Dame Judi Dench in Red Joan. I am not a spy. Plus Carol, Boy, Empire Records, Burlesque and so many more. A feast of delicious movies all summer long. Bon appétit. Streaming free and ad-free on ABC iView. I'm Emily Hoffman. And I love chasing chunky skinks in the top end. And you are listening to the Country Hour. It is 21 past one and you are tuned into the Country Hour. Time is running out to apply for this year's AgriFutures Rural Women's Award. Each year, a rural woman from the Territory receives a $15,000 bursary to use on their special project. And, of course, as part of the award, you get to travel to Canberra later in the year for a chance to be named Australia's Rural Woman of the Year. Eileen Breen is last year's winner for the Territory. She's got a background in civil construction, and her project has been focused on helping other businesses become more sustainable. She had a chat to Jan Kahoot about her experiences over the last year 
and why you need to sit down this afternoon and apply for this year's award. Look, this this has been an amazing award and I've used that money and the various other aspects of the award to help grow a project I've called the Sustainability Project. And that was taking the principles of um, how to introduce sustainability initiatives in that we've done in our business and how to implement those principles into all sorts of other businesses and industries. So supporting other businesses to do that throughout the territory. And uh, so far I've been able to have an amazing road trip um, to present uh, a workshop on um, for that very purpose of helping other businesses to develop their own initiatives and um, went with a wonderful woman called Donna Digby, who's the Northern Territory Chair of the AgriFutures Rural Women's Award Alumni. It's a big name, but a really powerful group. And we went on the road, first off starting with a workshop in Darwin, then Alice Springs, Tennant Creek and Catherine, connecting with uh, other businesses um, and particularly with other rural women in business to help them start to develop their own initiatives. So that's been one of the big projects, but the next phase is probably for me extremely exciting because it's how do I grow that impact? And um, I've been very fortunate that our Northern Territory Chamber of Commerce has uh, partnered with me to help develop a sustainability working group to support businesses right across the Territory to develop their own initiatives and also connect in with opportunities um, to develop or diversify and grow their businesses with various projects that might be coming to the Northern Territory. And so you say you haven't spent entirely that money. Where, wh- wh- what's it doing right now? <gasps> what's it doing right now? It's waiting for me to develop um, some materials, that, um, education materials that businesses will be able to, to use and um, to develop their, their initiatives um, and develop um, plans that they can maybe put in for their business plans or into tenders or for their own grant opportunities as well. So that's the next phase of using that money um, because I want to see the, the greatest impact for, for businesses as well. So that'll be some um, resources for other businesses to be able to use. And why do you think other women should apply for uh, the award this year? Oh, look. This, this award is, is so much more than just a grant. And I think it's an incredible opportunity to um, get leverage and exposure for a business or project that you're currently running and to help it to scale and grow to the next level. Because what AgriFutures does is that there's not just a grant, but there's a lot of promotion around what you're doing. Um, they actually produce incredible video and and resource of photography that you can use to promote your business. And they put that online um, that you can share with a much wider audience. So it's actually helping you to scale up um, your project and connect with new opportunities throughout the territory. Um, They also provide a lot of um, education and coaching around how do you pitch your business? How do you develop and grow that? Um, and they also give you, as part of your award, um, a, quite a sizable amount of money, another $7,500 plus to do a leadership course. So 
that you're actually going to learn the skills to grow as a leader in whatever field you work in and also with the view that we uh, that you can give back more to your community and um, where you live and work so i just think that's an amazing opportunity and if you are chosen as the nt winner it's um it's quite a, a thing to go to canberra to uh, the national event and see that video and promotion of you and your business and your community um up on stage uh in canberra and parliament house um so it, it's quite an achievement and, and a little bit surreal i have to say you know going from rural darwin to the big house in canberra um i'd encourage any woman to to have a go and um get that opportunity to scale up um, both personally and professionally as well that's eileen breen from ntex and last year's winner of the nt rural women's award i'm told you've got until friday to apply for this year's award so for more details head along to the agri futures website or perhaps the best thing to do is jump on the phone this afternoon jump on the phone Call Lorraine Corowa. She is the Northern Territory rep for all of this. Her number is 8999 So that's 8999-2390. If you have no luck there, just maybe call the AgriFutures front desk and uh, make a start this afternoon. And who knows? It is time now to head to the sale yards. I'm told John Traeger has lost his voice. So at Dublin today, here's Elsie Adamo with the market report. Agents offered 130 live weight and open auction cattle. Quality was generally fair to good, with prices increasing under good competition from the usual trade and processor buyers, especially butchers and restocker orders. Vila steers sold from 308 cents to 326 cents, with Vila heifers ranging from 240 cents to 290 cents. Yearling steers made 262 cents to 312 cents, as yearling heifers range from 258 cents to 272 cents. Grown heifers sold from 242 cents to 292 cents. Medium weight cows sold from 160 cents to 260 cents, as heavyweights range from 218 cents to 250 cents. Bulls sold from 200 cents to 250 cents per kilogram. This has been Elsie Adamo filling in for John Traeger for the SA Livestock Exchange Reporting Service. Thank you for that, Elsie. In the live export trade, well, it's a bit quiet. Everyone's flooded in. There's not much cattle on the move. And from what I can tell, no live export ships due out this week. The Eastern Young Cattle Indicator, as we go to air, is sitting at 641 cents a kilo carcass weight. So it has increased a lot since the cattle market bottomed out in about October of last year. So the current price I've got here is 83% up on what the Yaki sat at back in October. So quite the rise there for the cattle industry's benchmark indicator. Uh, That's all we've got time for on today's Country Hour. Keep it rural.